Hello, hello, and welcome to Temple of the False Pod, where our decks are not optimized, but our plays sure as heck are fun. I'm Andy. I'm Bruce. And, uh, and we I'm got Andrew. A, we got a, a cool new guest today. Well, not even a new cool. guest. Our our first return guest. Uh, last time we had Andrew on uh, was just about two years ago. Uh, it was la- it was September 2021. Uh, he came and talked about his uh, the diametrically Ravnikan project. Uh, oh yes. right, so it was like the groups of yeah the the there were decks that were you know color pairs but they did the opposite of what uh their color pairs in ravnica do uh, which right. is which is just a, like a fun little thing you know how, did you ever how far did you get in that i mean not to i think no no i didn't get too much further than what we had discussed before and you know i think part of it just stemmed from just overall fatigue and that's kind yeah. of like something, I think that's going to be a consistent theme that we have in the discussion today is, is, you know, two parts of this. It's just overall fatigue with magic. And then the second aspect of it is our ways of attempting to circumvent that fatigue and find new and interesting ways to fall back in love with this. And so, like, in that instance, for me, it was how do I create commander decks in color pairs I don't typically find interesting, inspiring, and use that as a springboard again to like try to fall in love again with the format. So, you know, I would say that the the greatest success out of that would be the Quain deck, so the Azorius Whimsy deck, yeah. because that just consistently, you know, like it's rolling dice, it's big ridiculous things. You know, I had uh, an unkillable animated library that folks were just like oh no i i, I put out some photos of it i'll, I'll share them with you also if you want to want to link to them um i'll find I, them i love queen i yeah can't i can't can't get enough um that's that's easily one of my favorite decks to play against so <laughs> and, and i love too that like your and correct me if i'm wrong uh it it was a project that never intended to be finished. It was just a thing to keep you inspired, for lack of a better term. Uh, keep you continuing to do what you love with the game rather than kind of sit and kind of be like, eh, he's fine. Because, uh, I mean, I know that coming away from that conversation, I built, like, a few decks that were fairly inspired by that idea of just, like, oh, this is, like, a cool new way to look at this rather than... Uh, feel almost restricted by what the guilds do in Ravnica, you know? Um, but yeah. Um, what we, what, there were, there were a few logistical things uh, this season that we had changed up, uh, including just like the order of the episodes that we do. Uh, Normally episode three and eight are deck tales. uh, And if anybody's, been keeping track we've only done one deck tale this year this year this season uh and so i figured you know let's 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 get andrew on we'll talk about this deck that you and i both kind of collaborated on um and talk about that experience uh so uh if you all want to join me we got a a deck tale there you go uh I understood the assignment. Yes. Yes. Um, So today we've got a a deck tale about the deck that uh, you created the basis. We collaborated, kind of switching cards in and out, talking about uh, categories and stuff. Uh, And it's all based behind Lorcan, Warlock Collector from uh, AFC, which is... uh, the commander decks, I believe, from Forgotten Realm. Yeah. Um, they are a 6-6 six, six for 5 black-black. Legendary creature devil flying. Whenever a creature card is put into an opponent's graveyard from anywhere, you may pay life equal to its mana value. If you do, put it onto the battlefield under your control. It is a warlock in addition to its other types. And then if a warlock you control would die, exile instead. Yeah, so just like a cool little reanimator, uh, and it's like on the spot, but also like if your thing, if 
your opponent's thing dies under your control because it's a warlock it gets exiled so they never really get it back uh it's a it's a fun thing and it's seven mana which was also a treat um so uh <laughs> it was a card that when it came down you knew it was it was it was time to ball out like that oh, was sure. you know like when you got to that stage in the game it's like oh we're here now this is <laughs> this is what we're doing yeah for sure and there were like there were a few um excuse me uh, there were a few a few games that I played with this. Uh, I have played with this. I, I think I've probably played three at this point, um, which like isn't a lot. But I mean, compared to the rest of the year that I've had, uh, it's been all of them. Uh, and I think what uh, I'm thinking about now with regards to this deck um, is uh, it. Lorcan says from anywhere. Into the graveyard from anywhere, uh, which is, you know, obviously it could die, but on the other hand, you could put some mill in there. Um, and I don't, I, we didn't, we didn't necessarily put too much. I don't know if we put any mill in here, um, but I don't think so. Um, I I really like, I always, I always like the the Gaunti effects of like using your opponents stuff do you do you remember where this kind of the 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 basis the the structural support what's the word uh the you know bones. like a basement the the bones thank you there we go the spooky word uh the bones <laughs> of this deck came from yeah and so it's interesting that we started the discussion with the 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 ravnican project because this this was born out of another conceit that I had in an attempt to find my love with this game again. Mm -hmm. And the concept for this and the other decks that have kind of come out of it, you know, two of which that I have, are looking more for flavor and storytelling as the key driver in deck design versus mechanical, you know, versus, you know, uh, really the, the, the ways that I see like decks coming together now is like, I'm going to build the cycling deck. I'm going to build the reanimator deck. I'm going to build the mill deck. And, you know, I think the current state of, design and development for commander like we've had some open-ended commanders of late but i think what i've seen is there's such a trend towards like building a ideal commander for this kind of thing and then that's kind of your default as you mm. go forward and again i think one of the aspects of commander and this is a little bit of a step back so i'm sorry i came i came prepared good one of the things that I think has really changed about Commander for me is there's this lack of sense of discovery. Like, I remember when I first came back and it was, it was such a feat to remember or think about or ideate and be like, oh, that's a card. Like, going through old lists, websites, you know, products to try to find that technology to, to like make a deck work mm -hmm. and nowadays you just have scryfall and you're just a boolean phrase away from having literally every single potential card and so this concept again thinking about the conceit of i'm fatigued i need new ways to inspire myself was to say i'm going to avoid being bottom up in my design in the sense of I want to do X mechanics and I'm gonna build a deck that lives into that and instead start from the top down and say, I want this deck to tell a story. I want this deck to be very distinct in doing a thing uh, from a narrative perspective. And so this deck, I think when we were discussing it, it was really about the, the dirty work of being an assassin or a mercenary for hire. 
And mm. like, what is the story you can tell in terms of like the job? And that's where the name of this deck came from was the job. You're working for a collector of warlocks being Lorcan, not to be uh, confused with Lorcana, which is also a new <laughs> thing that we will not be getting into um, over the course of this discussion. And it was, let's design for flavor and really seek to uncover cards that otherwise would probably never see the light of day in a, a modern commander deck. Um, and then you kind of fill it out to get to the 100 or the 63 or whatever your, your magic number is for, for non-land cards to make it functional in a, in a modern setting. And so yeah. this one was all about, you know, you have Lorcan as, or Lorcan as your, your leader in this, you know, series of jobs. Uh, who are the characters you'd be interacting with? Where would you be interacting? What would they be doing? Um, to get the job done, you know, how are they getting paid? You know, what are the, you know, the artifacts they're utilizing in order to facilitate this thing? Um, and I'm just, I'm scrolling through the deck and as I'm explaining this, it's just, it's funny because, uh, you know, that uh, at the Bifrost, which is a new store here in, this, in New York City, like I've sat down twice and I've had the same cat in, in the pod. And he's like, oh, this is the dude who tells stories while he plays his decks. And you just see it come through the whole time, um, which is great. So like that is like, there's a lot to unpack, obviously, in that little diatribe. But it's like, again, looking for avenues to inspire, going top down from a design perspective and looking to tell a narrative story through the cards in the deck and making that an interesting and fulfilling way of designing, building, and playing a deck. So, so I had a question then. So did you come across cards that, or I guess the better question is, if you come across a card that fits the story, but functionally is at total cross purposes with, with, with Lorcan? Does it make the deck? Or is that something you just sort of, we'll put it there, we'll set it aside and think about it and see if we can't find a way to make it work? Or how, was that something that, that came up or was it just not not an issue? Um, I'll, I'll take this one. Uh, I, I think for me, at least, like it, there, was, there was enough, like it, I think the bigger thing was because I knew I was going to be uh, building this deck in paper. Um, the bigger decision ended up being, is it too expensive for my deck? Um, sure. Because I think to an extent, the, the way that the deck was built, um, or at least like the way it came together, was there were um, the things that I wanted to do with the deck also helped the narrative of the deck um sure my my underlying uh understanding beyond the job was hot people doing hot shit so like uh <laughs> <laughs> like because like it's just so like if you like it's it's kind of like a be killed or join us or both um and so, like, a lot of those cards ended up being just these intriguing, attractive people doing <laughs> cool things. Uh, and I think beyond that, like, even to an extent, Sinister Starfish, which is in this deck, kind of, you know, it's not hot, but it's like, it's like this, like, mysterious, like, like, what's going on? Like, why is this Starfish Sinister? Um, and so, like, to have cards that were against the 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 narrative they probably were already not doing what the deck wanted to do anyway um i think that the ones that caught our eyes or at least my eyes were like the ones that you were like oh this this belongs in here um but uh i mean i think even to an extent like uh let's see like i think flavorfully like even like you know, Nothic doesn't really uh, fit uh, 
thematically, I guess, with like the hot people doing hot shit. But don't, like, don't kink shame Andy. Don't kink shame. Okay, that's fair. Uh, but I think with with something like that, it was drawing. But I think also uh, something that I, I noticed uh, within the bones that Andrew had, I mean, honestly, kind of maybe explicitly said, but uh, something that was in the bones of the deck was this uh, rolling aspect, um, doing this like, you know, back alley gambling type thing, uh, which is just so fun. I, I mean, the more I can add to the unsureness of uh, a deck success is always great. I think the one thing that I changed most about this deck, honestly, was uh, when taking the first couple passes, I noticed that there wasn't really much like protection or recursion for Lorcan, and being seven mana, like I think that that was like the first thing that I had to like sacrifice some of the deck to like kind of ensure. I I already have uh, gone on this podcast to say that like the the type of effect that feign death has I like to call life insurance, uh, and I mean I feel like that fits thematically. <laughs> uh, it does, yeah. But just like that, like if it dies, it returns to the battlefield type thing. Uh, specifically, I'm not going to read. Lorcan. I'm not going to read the card, um, but I'm going to read the flavor text, which I think is great. The flavor text for Feign Death, a one mana instant um, from another D&D set, is a drastic measure for dangerous times. And that feels on yeah. point here with uh, making this work. Um, <laughs> I could tell you, so there's two quick anecdotes that I'll offer about this deck and just designing here in general. Um, Again, looking to discover cards outside of the norm and not like mechanically similar to like add variety, the lore phrase or the lore search function in Scryfall was my big friend. So, you know, danger, drastic, you know, um, a lot of times you'll see. You know, if not in the card name directly, a lot of times the flavor text is a connecting element to a lot of these cards. You know, death, work, um, you know, uh, <laughs> I'm just like reading a couple of others. You know, that's, that's, I think one of the aspects here that was interesting is looking for different ways to surface cards that thematically fit and then finding a way mechanically to make them make sense. Mm. And... The other piece, I think, from a design standpoint, is this had originally started not with Lorcan at the lead as the commander, but actually with Tiny Bones. Oh. <laughs> and that was that's actually why, and I'm sure the link to the actual deck will be in the description. But when you look at when you look at the Moxfield uh, page, that is why. Tiny Bones is in the background of the header was because they were originally the first commander for this deck before deciding to switch and live more fully into contract, you know, work for hire, you know, having, you know, this this devil in charge of a band of hot assassins to make, you know, to put Andy on the spot there. So that's, you know, those are, I think, two of the aspects of building this deck and building decks like this that I think are, you know, make it a lot more fun. Cause it's like, what kinds of stories can I tell in playing this deck now? Mm. And I mean, we still have all of the, like in the considering is a lot of the cards that were originally in there that we uh, decided to pull or uh, thought about putting in. Um, and I think like even scrolling through those, uh, it's a reminder of like, there's there's so much you can still do with this deck, uh, whether it's just like you know you want to take a thing in and or take a thing out and put another thing in, either for flavor reasons or for consistency. Um, because I mean, like this deck, uh, this isn't a deck that you're gonna bring in and like. It, it's it's gonna take a lot to win. Um, you're gonna do some absurd things if Lorcan lands, but like. Uh, 
And believe me, I have. Uh, but like, I think with with this deck, it does a lot of uh, the things I like to do, uh, which are like the Gaunti effects. Uh, I like to do a lot of life gain. Um, to an extent, um, I mean, recursion is always nice because it just ensures that you get more value out of your cards. But uh, something that uh, this deck was it <laughs> based around uh, was something that I had never considered, which is just kind of like uh, whenever I took this deck out, I you know your rule zero conversation, your pregame conversations, uh, I had to kind of explicitly be like, this is kind of mono removal dot deck. Like it's like there are 14 removal cards, uh, whether, you know, uh, board wipes or targeted. Uh, and that's to get Lorcan going. Um, a lot of it is to just kind of do the Lorcan thing. Uh, and, and I kind of loved it because it was, it was very toolboxy in the way that like, not all removals gonna work the same way. You're gonna have to figure out which is gonna work the best at any given time. If you have a handful of removal, which which is the best for the job? Um, uh, it was ju- it was just an interesting way that the deck went that I I wouldn't have expected. Uh, and honestly, I think I took a few removal cards out just because I was like, I want to put these other cool cards in. Um, mm-hmm. But. So the f- the funny part is there's a couple of cards in here, and uh, that that I know specifically that Andrew put in. I know this for a fact. Um, well, maybe maybe I'm maybe that's a bit of a bit of a reach, but Bucknard's Everfull Purse. Andrew, Andrew, was that was that you that put that in? Oh, you know it. <laughs> but your call, but but your 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 nomenclature for this card is incorrect. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know. I, I normally have another name for this for this card. Uh, I don't, I'm gonna I'm gonna let it slide for now. <laughs> Put in the show notes. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> um, so, but for folks who are wondering, just Bucknard's Everfull Purse is a two mana artifact. And for one, you tap it, roll a D4, and create a number of treasure tokens equal to the result. Then the player to your right gains control of Bucknard's Everfull Purse. No, no, this is not the best, uh, the best uh, ramp card. It's, it's no Signet. It's no two-mana uh, two ta- two you know, artifact. But it's so much fun. It is so much fun. Rolling a D4 means you're averaging two and a half treasures every time you roll it. And you get to pass it off to the person to your right, who then gets to be, who, who you then can either refer to as the spoil sport, who just swiftly refuses to use it, or pressure them into doing it as well. It, it's one of these bonus, little bonus sub games that I love in Magic. It just, are you gonna use it? You should use it. You should mm. at least get the treasures. So that way, the next turn, you can have a nice big turn, big and flashy, and use all your mana and do all this other stuff. Won't that be great? There's something nice about it that it is a low-risk, high-reward. And it's low-risk in terms of abusability. You know, mm. You're not yeah. going to hand this off, and a player's going to combo off with this. You know, mm. But what's what's great about it is the fact that there's that, that high-reward that high potential for reward yeah. of folks just living into it and suddenly you're rolling dice, you're laughing because it's like, ah, did I did I get the four? No, I got the one. And now it's off to somebody else and somebody else's problem. So uh, those are the kinds of things that I like where it's like you can, you can directly associate how fun a card is with how unlikely it is to have a overwhelmingly negative effect on the game. Yeah. And what I like too about purse is that like there's there's the table aspect of it, which is what we're yeah. talking about, which is like like everyone generally speaking is going to get a shot if the game lasts that long. It's very slow, but like that's kind of the charm of it. Um if it was passed to the left then like I don't know, like, it might not be as fun. But, like, 
with the what you had mentioned about the the low the low risk is that you're going to get the mana you put in out regardless right. like you will get the one back it's fine um <laughs> which is just nice you know uh and uh i think what is even more nice is that like so often in a game of commander especially uh in our in our meta uh we we so often like need just like one or two more mana and like this this helps out uh but now to be fair mm-hmm. this help this isn't here for the mana this is here for the laugh this is here right for the for the moments that it creates if you're looking for something that's going to get you the mana well soul ring isn't in the deck you can you could replace bucknard's everfold first with a soul ring and you would reliably get two mana every turn but who wants that uh, <laughs> For a deck like this, with when you're trying to tell the story, Bucknard's Everfull Purse is part of the story. Right. And it just makes sense. So. And I guess just, I mean, like, even, like, compared to, uh, what is it, uh, Victory Chimes. Like, yeah. it is going to be a thing that you can give to other people um, where it is including the table. It's going to create these stories because, like, people can do the things that they want more. Uh, but this this fits the theme of just like dice rolling in the back alley and like you got uh you know yes. treasure and uh it's it's a little bit more uh flexible in that way because it can create color uh colored mana but uh i i do love yeah i love that it does create the stories um here's something else i like about rolling dice mm-hmm. yeah oh. I'm stretching for you. <laughs> you're, you're talking to the guy who loves rolling dice, so. Oh, I mean, you like you like dropping dice. Let's let's call. I a like dropping a dice. I like rolling dice. Fair, so fair. I, I'll take it all. There's, you know, again, I I don't want to dwell too much on like magic design, the current state of affairs, but like magic and specifically commander today is such a a race to the bottom in terms of efficiency. You know, min-maxing your plays, you know, getting the most out of every card you cast. And there's just, I think, an inherent joy in having the effects of what you cast be somewhat randomized. You know, it, it strips away that aspect of, I'm going, you know, Andy, even as you were saying before, you know, the aspect of this is a, you know, this is a one-for-one one the deck being, like, kill spells, board wipes, and all that. But it's offset with these kinds of story, story-driven, story but then also story-making kinds of cards where it's like, it could be a fizzle, and it could be hysterical, or right. it could be ridiculous, and you can't help but laugh. And oh, that's what sure. I think is like it flies so much in the face of that current convention of just like, you know what? I don't know. Like I could cast this card four or five times. And I'm thinking specifically a lot about the roll D20 cards. I could cast this card a hundred times. And the result is going to be, you know, different potentially every single time. Versus if I have this spell, it's going to do this thing. It costs this much, and I'm going to use it in this situation every right. single time. You know, I think that's that's what makes this fun is that it's just kind of like by by making the result more randomized, you can be more willy nilly with when and how you cast it contextually. It's like I don't know if this is going to do anything interesting, but you know what? We're just going to give it a give. It, it's like it's like rolling the planer die. I don't know where we're gonna go, but you know what? We're gonna we're gonna find out. But we're going. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well, um, that was one of the other pieces I noticed. I mean, the deck has four cards in it that cost seven mana, and those cards are in there not because there's a way to shortcut them out onto the battlefield. They're not in there because the ramp package in this deck is obscene, and you're gonna get to 10 mana in three in four turns or three turns. <laughs> right. They're in there because, because they play to the story. 
because it makes it just makes sense for this deck with this theme to have them in there. And you know, obviously, you'll push you'll push the ramp that's there as hard as you can to get to that because that's going to make a great story in itself when you do get to cast. But you know, I was just thinking just thinking about what you were saying, Andrew, with the with the whole idea of you know the min max. It's like just pump the brakes, folks. You don't you don't it doesn't have to be min maxed all the time. You're going to find I. I I have always said this. You will find the best games are the ones that take a little bit longer, the ones the ones where you get to develop, the ones where uh, where you where where decks that tell a story actually get to tell the story, um, and I think that's you know that, that's something to keep in mind. So, um, speaking of just ridiculous ramp, uh, <laughs> tempting contracts in this deck, um, and I might cut this part out, but. Uh, Tempting Contract, for those who don't know, is four mana. At the beginning of your upkeep, each opponent may create a treasure. Uh, for each opponent who does, you create a treasure token. So you're, generally speaking, getting up to three, or often you're going to get zero uh, because some people don't like fun. Um, this card's $5 now. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, kind of going off what you were saying about uh, just the games going longer playing into the story of it all uh reminds me of of that game that i finally remembered um i had taken kalidus out of my opponent's graveyard um with lorcan and uh <laughs> kalidus uh goes against everything that lorcan wants to do uh, like, no, because what are you doing? <laughs> none of your opponent's stuff is gonna die but Kalidus has lifelink. Uh, Kalidus, for those who don't know, is two, uh, Kalidus Trader of Get, not the other Kalidus. Uh, two black black for a 3-4 with lifelink. If, if a non-token creature an opponent controls would die, instead exile that card and put a 2-2 two -two black zombie creature token onto the battlefield. Two and a black, sacrifice another zombie or vampire. Put two plus one plus one counters on Kalidus. Um, this deck took a wild turn when I did this. And the game ended up going, like, I think I ended up putting some sort of evasion on Kalidus and just kept cracking in for uh, for lifelink. And uh, got a lot of counters. And then uh, my opponent, because it was just down to the two of us, and the game had already been going on for an hour. I think it went on for another hour, where it was just kind of, like, cracking back and forth until we could draw into answers to like get through so that like it would weigh the the seesaw the the level the balance in one way or the other uh and the funny thing is that i was playing against a zombie deck uh so it was all tokens so like i wasn't really like i already had recognized like i'm not really going to get much value out of their deck but if i take kalidus then uh I, I'm going to like get a lot of triggers off of the deaths of their, their, uh, not uh, obviously not on Kalidus, uh, but triggers of the other things in my deck, uh, off of their, their zombies. And, yeah. uh, it, it ended up being this weird back and forth where it was just, there was a point in time where I was like, now I just kind of want Kalidus to die so that if I can somehow get, things in motion uh, I can finally pull this off but like he wasn't going to kill Kalidus I <laughs> I couldn't find an answer to kill Kalidus uh, but it was just this weird moment where uh, in the story of the job uh, Kalidus kind of came in and took over and uh, was it for the benefit of the job who's to say uh, but it was uh uh it was a mutiny from within. Uh, it's wild. You, you yeah. went there, you know, like I we were saying there. before. It's like don't know what the result's gonna be, but you know what? We're going there. Exactly. It was a it was a meta gamble rather than uh, you know my my rolling dice. Um, it was great. It was a good time. Uh, honestly, over the past couple of years, it was the most that I had laughed uh, in a game of Magic <laughs> in a very long time. It was amazing. 
Shout out to Ian. I'm sure he'll remember that game. Uh, <laughs> um, so you mentioned the tempting contract. Mm-hmm. And I just want to come back to it really quick because tempting contract to me is that it's another Bucknard's Everfull purse. This is another this is another sub game, except there's no dice on this one. Uh, the sub game is um, convincing that first opponent that they need the treasure. Mm-hmm. I just got to convince the first guy that he needs that treasure. And you're gonna and so at this point it becomes it's completely political. It's how well you can convince them that they should take the treasure. Or you know. I'm not going to swing at you. I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to use the treasure to, to, to get stuff that's going to hurt you. We're going after this other guy. We should be working this out. And as soon as you convince the one person, that first guy to take the treasure, then you look at the next guy and be like, we've each got one. If you don't take one, you're going to be down a treasure to everybody. Cause you know, the next guy's going to take one. Yeah. And you work your way around the board. And then it becomes a question of, you know, how how well can you work the table? Now, obviously, the correct answer for the table is always nobody takes anything. <laughs> then you spent four mana and you never get anything for it. But it doesn't work that way. And, you know, you can work your way around. Even if the first, even if your first two opponents say no, the last one, you just look at them like, what is the downside to taking the treasure? We each get one. You don't get any more than I do. I don't get any more than you do. And we each get one and they didn't get any. And if you can convince them to do that once, then on your next upkeep, that first guy, you're going to be looking at him. It's like, are you going to let us do this again to you? It's just, there. it is so, there's so many levels to this card. And I love that kind of stuff. I love the political aspect. I love being able to to try and convince folks to, to make that happen. It's part of the reason I really love all the, the tempting offer cards. Yeah. And I think so. with with this deck specifically too, like it kind of playing into the other ramp, uh, it's partly because we're beginning we're becoming so saturated with them, but it's fairly treasure based. But that's also flavorful, you know. Uh, granted, you've got things like black market, which are uh, impending uh, removal targets, but. Um, you know, if you can get a trigger off black market or two, then like it's gonna be great. Um, but like, I mean, even like Grim Hireling, um, inspiring statuary to an extent is based around uh, having loads of treasure because uh, I, I, I'm just like picturing like you know like when people used to use like quarters on strings in like vending machines. Like yeah, that's that's what inspiring statuary feels like to me. Is like that like oh got the money back because uh, you're just tapping you're tapping your treasure for nothing uh, to, to, to pay for things without the sacrifice um, but um, yeah I think uh, there's a lot that could be done with this deck um, I, I feel like the I, I feel like overall throughout both of the uh D sets and their corresponding commander product like i feel like they didn't really have much uh love for like like from the audience perspective i feel like the audience didn't love it uh as much as i feel like it should have been loved but uh yeah this is a this is a this is a thing that i've been we've both been kind of uh cheering uh about for the past couple years is just like these are some good sets uh i mean afr was good the commander sets for afr were fantastic uh and then with battleful Baldur's gate like people are coming around on it now but like it's been a spectacular set uh and not just because of the die rolling but because of the inclusion of the table because i mean that's what people love about D and D is the like. There's the story and everything and the mechanics, but like the thing that people come away from with D and D specifically is the like the moments that you shared together, um, and that's something that I feel like Commander needs more of. Um, 
there's there's an aspect to that that I think is really interesting and important. And one of the things, you know, in speaking, and shout out to, to Trick for this, Trick Jarrett um, at Wizards, but, you know, a while back I'd asked him to give me an overview of D&D, and that was for work purposes. And one of the things that he said is it is a concept of, you know, the game mechanics and how the game actually works is in service of the concept of shared storytelling. And what I think is great about that is, you know, this deck works twofold. It works in one sense in its own little self-contained way of being a story in a deck. You know, that's the, the conceit behind building it. But then playing magic in this way is conducive to better stories at the table. And again, you know, the rule zero conversation kind of supersedes all in this concept in that if you properly set expectations and the table is calibrated to everyone's wants and needs from this game, everyone's going to walk away with a good time. But you know, this kind of deck lives into that even more so because there is so much inherent variety in what it can or cannot do that it creates these moments that people remember. And I think that's just like a huge thing. You know, it's one of the, you know, aside from manipulating people, <laughs> it is one of my favorite aspects of Commander <laughs> because it's an excuse to sit down and play with people. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. And I think that like this deck does an excellent job of that because like I think that uh, for as much as it is kind of uh, leaning towards like using other people's decks so there's the whole like scaling thing of uh you know you're you're only as good as your table um but it also does this thing where like sometimes you need the bad guy uh and sometimes that bad guy is a seven mana six six devil uh and uh it for me the 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 kind of uh, soapbox that I've been on for a while is like, sure, there's the cards that you put in a deck. Like you could rattle off all the cards you put in the deck, but like it's it's about the the deployment of it. It's both about when you play them, and so like you know you can play efficiently or you can just play to do big things. Like there's the the kind of the two sides of the spectrum there, uh, and obviously it's more complicated than that. But uh, and then there is. Uh, like how you present when you play them. Like obviously you don't have to like go into like storytelling and all these things. And like, that's good. Like I like that when people do that, but like how, like putting out the energy into a game that you want back uh, is so big because there's been so many games where like uh, I've noticed, yeah, like either like people are like getting frustrated or like hiding and it's just like, yeah there's there's this taking the game a little bit too seriously in the moment where it's like it makes everybody else tense and then everybody else is like i don't want to interact with this guy like i don't want to like even just like play a murder on their creature because maybe it's i don't know um and Didn't there's all that the vibe check right um and the the example i think i always come back to and i mean i i, I now have like a list of two people but uh the way Kyle plays, uh, Cowboy Kyle, uh, he, it, it's the best experience I've ever had playing Magic, where it's just like, if he does something big, he expects it in return of just like, yeah, no, pile on. Like, I did the thing I wanted to do. Uh, but even to an extent, Ian, um, the, the guy I was talking about with uh, that game I had with this deck, um, just just the most joy of just like yeah kill me let's do this you know and it just it changes so much about the base experience of the game where like just be aware of how you're coming across um and being a being a being a heel essentially uh is <laughs> kind of fun sometimes uh if you really want to play into that um, but I, I will say that like what you've just described is a reminder that 
if you if you accidentally put together a deck and it turns out that the power level is maybe a little higher than you intended and you come to the table and your deck is a little more powerful than you realized it is amazing how you the person the individual the personality how you interact with the table can definitely if just wildly affects how the rest of the table either views your deck and views the game experience. If I show up at a table, I know the bad, bad way to describe things. If I show up at the table with an eight and everybody else is running sixes and fives, but I am, you know, taking huge glee in all of the ridiculousness that's going on. As long as you can do it in a way that's infectious, suddenly everybody else at the table is just, they're loving the fact that this thing is happening and you're so excited about it. And you can, you know, that goes a long way to a lot of this stuff. So when you see people, you know, so when you see folks who are, you know, when you get a chance to tell the story with Lorcan, people are just going to love that and they eat yeah. that up. I mean, that's part of the reason, I, I know that's part of the reason I like Quain so much. Because I like the stories that the deck, that, 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 that McGreeny and the deck create. Oh, I like sure. the, the situations, the, you know, you never, you know, you never know what the next card, how the next card is going to completely affect the way the game plays out. And it's not one of these, you know, it's not boom, huge, massive, you know, ridiculousness going on. It isn't as though we're looking at eight mana, nine mana spells making dramatic changes to the board. It's okay, I'm going to play this three-mana card, and it's going to let me draw two cards, but doing that means that I get to do X, Y, A, X, Y, and A, and L, and S, and it's just like, what? How is this? This doesn't make any sense. And I love that. And, it, you know, if you can play it with that level of excitement and enthusiasm, it comes off so much better than the person who's playing the eight and is just sitting there deadpan dropping cards on the board. <laughs> It's like okay, so clearly you're just waiting for the game to end, uh, you know. Uh, no reason for the rest of us to try and stop it from ending. Let's just get this over with, so you can go about your merry way. But uh, yeah, it's just it's just something to you know. Like I said, I love that's the sort of thing. That's the sort of play experience I want, and you know, a deck like Lorcan really brings that to the fore. So. Yeah, I think I think kind of going off what you were saying, like it is this balance of of card selection and how you're playing um like it's it's not one or the other it's both and i think to an extent why generally speaking i think why people play this game is because of the challenge it's not like it's a complex game that is for sure uh but like people like the challenge of like figuring out like okay how am i going to get out of this tricky spot and if the person playing the villain at the moment the person that is the that is the threat at any given moment understands that then it's going to be more fun to unpack that challenge uh i think that this deck does does a good job of that where it's like you you understand that when you get seven mana you're going to play your commander when you play your commander things may turn south and you got to figure out how to like as the the pilot of this deck you got to figure out how to like hold on to that power and then also understand that you have 14 removal spells in this deck and uh use them because that will just drive that engine further and like be a be a bit of a a villain it's fun be the hot person doing hot shit hot person doing <laughs> shit man i have and this this probably could be an episode, and it's all right. So we could strike this. We could strike this. But I have a potentially controversial topic to oh, hell to, yeah. to discuss. And it 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 is true to to my roots as a, a commander boomer, in that every article, every piece, you know, in the early you know 2012, 2013, everyone tried to, to come up with like, I'm going to talk about this theoretical or philosophical thing and i'm going to name it you know so it's like it's this it is that you know we're, you know this strategy is called this and that was always something i always appreciated about early magic writing but 
One of the things that, that I've come to appreciate in, in creating more story-driven and memorable games is something I, I call the poet's choice. The poet's choice is your conscious and intentional decision in a game to not do something and more importantly not tell the other players that you're not doing it so if you have someone and i have a great anecdote for this um, you know so it's this idea of someone goes off they've done something incredible and meanwhile they're sitting there with your glee and you're sitting there with whatever mana it takes i don't even remember but you just have a cyclonic rift in hand and it's like, how quickly can you undo the excitement of someone doing <laughs> the thing that they're excited to do, perhaps the first time, perhaps the hundredth time, who knows? And you just, you know, like the poet's choice is to say, you know what? You got it, you know? And I'm, and being content with that, it is so antithetical to magic in so many regards to not like rain on that person's parade. And I have such, this has sat with me for years because I have such a strong example from what I think is Gen Con 2013 or 2014. So we're talking 10 years, 10, 9, 10 years at this point. I sat down with someone who had never played. They just were like, this seems really cool. What are you guys doing? And I said, oh, this is, this is Elder Dragon Highlander, now Commander. And they're like, oh, you know, do you mind if I give it a try? And I was like, sure. At this point, I still had a mono green Kamal deck. And this was ramp, 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 animate your creatures, overrun five or six times, murder the table. And this player, again, very linear deck, but it, it created ridiculous numbers, like hitting for 300 damage in a turn or something like that. Um, and I gave him this deck, and probably like turn seven, turn eight, again, we're talking 2012, 2013, or 2013, 2014, like the first Commander product and the second one had maybe just come out at this point, so like we are, we are not in the current era of, right. of Commander. And so, like, we hit turn seven, turn eight. And so, like, this is a scary moment. And, like, this player, he does all of the things. He's, like, fully in the zone. Everybody's laughing. He animates. He hits the overrun button on his Kamal a bunch of times. And here I am sitting. I forget even what deck I was playing. But I just remember sitting there with an evacuation in hand. And I yeah. just said, you know what? If I pulled this, this person may never play this game again. Be like, ah, you know what? You just, you know, you, you, you know, I'll scoop here because, like, I've just I've bounced all my lands. I've just completely ruined my board state. And it was like, I said, nah, you know what? And, and the most important thing was I didn't say, oh, I had this. Right. I, I you give them that moment, both in the game itself, and you yeah. don't try to take it away from them with that classic, oh, I could have had you, but I let you have it. Right. That is I mean, the poet's choice. Yeah, and it's like that nuanced difference between like letting them win and like letting them have that moment. Like, sure, that moment led to the win, probably, but like, like you didn't let them win. They got to that point on their own. Um, right. And it's just, it's so much more exciting to just, like, really understand the consequences of, like, what if I just, like, is this actually benefiting the game or is this just benefiting my ego, you know? Uh, and, man, that, God, that's such a great story. I mean, I, I that was the thing for me was, like, I, I guarantee that they immediately went to the first vendor they could find and bought their first commander deck. Mm. from that experience and so that for me says like that says it all in the sense that like 
you know, play as best you can, but really listen to the game and the state. If you need to be the heel, like what we're talking about here with the job, you know, do the thing and be that person and expect to be the person who's going to get that hate and don't just woe is me. Like, oh God, why is everyone targeting me and my, you know, like my seven mana, you know, horrific. Steal everybody's things, yeah. (laughs) Steal everybody's things, you know, and just like listening to the, and like understanding the context of the table and making your decisions not by, okay, this is an efficient play and this is going to do this, this, and this for me, even though it's going to draw this game out another 90 minutes, you know, and instead saying, you know what, like, they're doing some cool things, we're having a good time, I'm going to let this happen. Like, I can't even count how many times I've, I've consciously done this. And most importantly, not been that person to say at the end of the game, like, oh, I could have stopped you or I could have undone this very easily. And instead, <laughs> yeah. let the moment ride and be the moment. You yeah. know? I feel like it's right. just such a it's I feel like it's controversial in the sense that it is so antithetical to the programming of gaming. In terms of like your your zero sum, you're trying to get to your result. You're trying to put things in your favor, and instead you're like, you know what? This is just how it's going to be. I love that. I think that's a, I think it's a good spot to to kind of wrap this up with because, uh, Magrini, you're doing the job. Uh, you're you're making you're making memories. You're making stories. Uh, whether through gameplay or, I mean, just, just coming on. You know, it was a fun time. We'll have to have you on and talk about the Poe's Choice some more because uh, I think we could do a full episode on that. Um, but, uh, you know, definitely not in two years. Uh, it'll have to be. <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> uh, I, this, is, this is the perfect uh, deck to have collaborated on because I think that like there is so so many places that you could go with this deck um, I think that um, if if you're interested in listening listening to us talk with McGreeny for another 45 minutes we have a whole other uh, episode from season two uh, I, I've linked it below uh, but uh, go check that out um, and uh, yeah I don't know uh, this is this has been fun. This has been great. Um, I, I miss I miss playing with you. I miss uh, playing magic with you. Uh, <laughs> but uh, let's 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 hang out again. Uh, and I want to thank everybody out there for listening. This is our final episode of season twelve. Um, we'll we'll be back in three weeks. We have two weeks off. And then yep. we'll be back with season 13. Um, you got me for the next two weeks for these little vignettes. Um, and then uh, we'll, we'll kick things off. Season Lucky number season 13 in October. Very cool. Um, yes. Everyone uh, say bye to Bruce uh, as he travels halfway across the world to hang out in beautiful Greece. Uh, I am everyone... already I'm already in beautiful Greece right now. Amazing. As you're watching this. Um, he's he's got a really come good out. background you got like on. my house. <laughs> but trust me. It's Greece. Uh, uh, if you're ever uh, in Magrini's end of the world, uh, just yell down the street, Hey, Magrini! And he'll be like, hello. Uh, it's New like York. That. You'll probably just run into him somewhere. Mm, for sure. It's pretty good at, yeah been pretty good at that yeah um but uh yeah that's gonna do it for us this season season 12 uh we'll be back in three weeks blah 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 thank you so much for listening thank you so much for watching if you're not watching make sure to check out our youtube yeah uh, you can see our beautiful mugs you can see mcgreeny's beautiful mug if he uh, signs our waiver and uh <laughs> we'll uh we'll see you next week because we're Temple of False Pod. We're X and not optimized, but our plays sure as heck are fun. I'm Andy. I'm Bruce. And I'm Andrew. Uh, 
check out all the links in the description, blah, blah, blah. Uh, thank you again. Have a great night. May your fifth land be the temple. Bye. 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 Wait, wait. Before you go, I uh, just wanted to say thank you for listening. You can reach out to us via email at falsepodmtg at gmail.com or on Twitter at falsepodmtg. Bruce is at Manaburned, and I'm at Andy Weekend, though you'll definitely notice I use the podcast Twitter far more often. Now that we've got you here, make sure you subscribe, like, rate us on uh, whatever podcast platform you use. It helps us out. It gets us more reach. Subscribe to us on our YouTube channel. Uh, like a video there. Leave some comments for more casual enjoyment. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back with some more timeless discussions about all things casual. So come hang out, and may your fifth land be the temple. Bye-bye. Should I do my best, Bruce? Bye!